Amen. Gosh, Ellie, thank you so much. That was really good. If we could have our young people go downstairs, Miss Brooke has got a wonderful time for you down there. If it's a little chilly, the space heater you can turn on, Brooke. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> It's funny, in the summer months for Children's Church, you know, with the air conditioning, you know, temperatures are a little different down there. It's about 10 degrees cooler down there, if you didn't know. But turn real quick in your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 6. By the way, oh my gosh, Mr. Jordan is here with us. We've been praying, oh my gosh. I, well, I told you it was cloudy this morning, but uh, uh, Jordan, we're glad you're here. Uh, we, we told him we're locking the doors, he can't get out, but he's a Marine, so he's going to figure a way out of here, so... He might have to leave early for family, but uh, we're so glad you're here. In fact, you know what? you mind if you come up here and we pray for you? We love praying for our military and those in service and our friends, and that's fantastic. So why don't we, uh, if you can extend your hands up here, we want to pray a blessing over him, and that all this confusion with his stuff going on at, uh, I was going to say work, but <laughs> at work, it's what it is. So we'll pray for that and uh, make sure that those clearances and everything going on uh, that happen for that. Lord, we just thank you for Jordan, this man of God. Lord, I just thank you for his heart and his dedication to our country and his service. And Lord, I just thank you, Father God, that you lead and that you guide him. Lord, I thank you even for the relationships on the base. And Lord, the, uh, where he's at, every step that he takes is ordained of you. And God, we just pray that your presence goes before him and behind him. And God, even with all the confusion going on right now and the chaos with that, Lord, I just pray, God, that you clear those things out. And uh I just thank you that you're going to take him where he's supposed to be. And that's the bottom line. I just pray that you fill him from head to toe. And we thank you for this man of God that's here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. I don't know if you know this, but God's here right now. So, And uh, I'm getting ready with this God sightings thing. And... Anybody have God show up this week on any crazy things happen? And, and we're in God's sightings part two, Isaiah chapter six. I wanted to talk about Isaiah, his call and the cleansing that took place in there. And I think it's time for us to jump in to what God is doing. I want us to understand today three things and kind of the seeing God in our life is it's time to jump in. You know, some of us kind of stay at kind of the peripherals in life and our spirituality and where we are in God. And uh, God wants us to jump in. Turn to someone and say, jump in. Number two, we've got to face flaws. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many people have flaws in your life? And some of them people know about, but there are some that nobody knows about, and those are the worst. Because those are the ones that bring condemnation and guilt and shame and bondage and keep you from having freedom that God wants you to have. And then the number three thing is learn to love. I believe all of us need to learn to love better and what God is calling us to. But why don't we turn to Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. And we'll hear what Isaiah has to say when he sees God. It was in the year of King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. 
Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. What a beautiful moment there in the presence of God that Isaiah experienced. One thing I will tell you this is when you experience God, there is just a humbling understanding of an awe of who God is. And the only thing that these seraphim, isn't it funny with these seraphim, you won't see these angels at Hallmark. The angels at Hallmark are a little kind of feminine and have, you know, they won't have the six wings. They are not the pretty cute little ones. In fact, they're a little intimidating. Every time someone saw an angel in the Bible, they were a little scared and intimidated by these things. Can I get an amen there? They don't work into that little cute picture we have. But it's time for us to jump in. Revelation 3.20 says this. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Now church has messed that whole verse up. Church has made it to be something like a salvation call. But really what it is, is it is a church that has locked those doors to the presence of God. And God wants to come in and commune with the people who have completely grown orthodox in their approach to church. They've grown, quote, practical in their own wisdom and their understanding. And they've left God out of the bunch. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Wanting to come in to commune with us. Wanting to come in and say, I have something to give to you. It's time for us to jump in. Turn to someone and say, it's time to jump in. There's a writer, Donald Miller, wrote this about a story. He was kind of in and out of relationships in his life. He never found anyone. He didn't want to get intimate with anyone, so he always kind of kept uh, women at bay, and he'd have dating things, but he never got into an intimate approach. And so now he started finding, he found this woman, a godly woman, who loved Jesus, and now he was understanding that he had some issues to deal with in his life. How many got issues to deal with in your life? But he said, jumping off a cliff is one thing, but having the same kind of fear about jumping off the end of a dock had me confused. The dock was only a few feet off the surface of the pond, and it's not like it was cold. I swam for an hour the day before, so why didn't I want to jump? Why was I having the same feelings at Bob's place, who had the cliff, staring down from ten times the height? Then it occurred to me what it was. I wasn't afraid to jump or swim or to feel the sudden coolness of the water. I was afraid of change. On the docks, I was warm and dry and in control. He continues, I jumped off the dock. The water on the surface was cool and the colder uh, as my body sank towards the bottom. I felt all the energy in the pond move into my muscles and when my head broke the surface, it felt like a personal sunrise as though the day were starting over. I felt better in the water than I had on the dock. I thought about that and then about how much I feared change, even for the better. I thought about how there are so many lies and fear, so much deception. What else keeps us from living a better story than fear. And I thought about that moment and that little snippet of him giving understanding when he got to the edge of that dock, 
He was afraid of change. And how many times in our life are we just simply afraid of change? God changing the scenery. God changing things. When the disciples came to Jesus and he wanted them to jump in, his way of saying jumping in in this vernacular was, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And when they did jump in, and when they realized that God was a God full of surprises, see, what we've got to get back to with our life, if we can see the picture of Jesus outside of Turning Point Church, and I pray our church isn't this way, I beg God, God, make sure that our doors are wide open for your presence. But if we can imagine that door being closed and God knocking there, saying, I'm pleading with you, let me into this place, let me rock it, let me shake it, let me take you to places that may not be practical, let me do things in your life that you may not understand, let me do things that may require faith for you, but jump in. So often in our life, we feel like we have to be in control. Turn real quick to Psalm 27 and verse 8. Folks, don't you just want to let go of the control for just a moment in your life and let God take control of that area that might be confusing and might be difficult. I love what David declares here through the voice of God. He says, my heart has heard you say, God, come and talk with me. I want to tell you, if you want to have a different landscape of your life, a different perspective, a different view, a different opinion, how many opinionated people do we have in here today? If you want to get a different vantage point about something you're dealing with, that you feel so right about and so in control about, and that if you can just say, can you hear God saying this, come away, come talk to me. I want to challenge you today. You say, well, man, I've been talking to God a lot. Yeah, but... Has God been talking to you a lot? We've been doing an awful lot of talking. But we haven't for a moment paused many times in our life to jump in and say, God, what are you saying to me right now? To be still in that moment and see that God is God and I am not. Number two, time to face the flaws. All of us have flaws. And Donald Miller writes, I had to trust that my flaws were the way through which I would receive grace. We don't think of our flaws as the glue that binds us to the people we love, but they are. Grace only sticks to our, imperfection, our imperfections. Those who can't accept their imperfections can't accept grace either. You know, the Pharisees really couldn't accept grace because they felt like they didn't have any imperfections, right? So the grace didn't stick to them. And for us in our life today, facing the flaws is an understanding that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We all know that. We all know that we have flaws. We're very flawed people. And I think some of us need to get to a place also facing the flaws where we think, well, we're not really that flawed. And we need to say, hey, I'm a pretty flawed person. Turn somebody and say, I'm a pretty flawed person. We're pretty broken. Folks, we're not half good people. You know, I, I want to say that too because we kind of mix this kind of mixed theology of kind of our own goodness with the grace of God, and it's never been that way. It never the Bible never taught that. The Bible never even taught a form of moral kind of astuteness or stature that we get and develop that coincides with grace. Grace is grace, and we need every square inch of it in our lives. 
And that's how come Jesus, when he was teaching, he said, you know what, when lust, he said, by the way, you say you commit adultery and sin. Jesus went even way deeper than that outward thing that happened. He said, if you lust in your heart, you've already sinned. You've committed adultery. Jesus went deeper. He went to the heart of the matter with people. I want to ask you today, man, have you had any mind things, any trip-ups, anything, those flaws? It's those flaws that you're experiencing in your mind and your heart. It's the things that we have going on in our mind that give us the grace that causes us to stick. A.W. Tozer writes, God does not work through those who are flawless, but rather in spite of our imperfections. God doesn't work through you because you're flawless. God works through you in spite of you. Isn't that a neat thing? He works through you in spite of you. That means with all the junk and facing the flaws that we have, that's how come you can never disqualify yourself. In anything that you're dealing with life, we love to come up with disqualifiers. You know, we have to, we come up with our list of things and we say, okay, you have to do this thing and this thing right and if you mess up here, well, you're completely disqualified. I was reading a story once about a a girl who was studying to be a teacher and she was wanting to be a math teacher and she completely failed this calculus exam at college and the one test was the thing that threw her into a huge depression and she wanted to even end her life as a result of failing miserably that calculus test. You say, man, that's pretty crazy one test, but that's how we have such a lack of grace even in our own life, and our own flaws that we face. We can look at that and say, well, I must not meant to do that. That must not have been the thing that I was supposed to go after because I failed at that one. Has anyone failed at any attempts in your life before? Can I get that? Facing the flaws is really important. You, know, you think about the story of Judas. You know, Judas deceives, he, he's, he, he kisses, he has the Judas kiss, and then he completely lies to him. And then he, he gives up the Savior. And yet Peter denies the Savior. And he was filled with shame. He walked away. Peter's end could have been the exact end as Judas. Peter is restored. And I think it's very important for us to understand in facing our flaws that we be restored. These flaws start to produce shame in our life. Stephen Arterburn writes this. We've all had times when a few poorly conceived actions came crashing back on our heads. And the difficulties they caused may have been quite extreme. But most of us waded through the wreckage, cleaned up the mess, and got back on track after learning a hard lesson or two. Toxic shame, on the other hand, binds us, blinds us to wisdom and insight. It prevents us from cleaning up after ourselves. We start to live in the debris of the past mistakes, and that leads us to more debris-producing decisions. We fill our life with problem after problem because we don't think we can do any better. We believe we are destined to make all things worse. In our minds, we see ourselves as a worst-case scenario, creating most worst-case outcomes from a deep well of toxic shame. That shame has etched into our hearts a self-image of a person living under the rubble of inevitable, disgraceful errors at every turn in life. Huge thing. There's a big difference between godly sorrow, folks, and shame. And dealing with the flaws in our hearts, all of us having flaws, the Bible says no one was without sin. In fact, it says if you don't sin, you're a liar. You've got to call yourself a liar. But when we do sin, God provides the grace for us. 
I believe what happens with our flaws is this kind of toxic shame happens. We don't deal with the sin. We kind of live in the debris. And so we start to say things like, well, this is how life is supposed to continue to be. Just a big mess, and I'm just a worst-case scenario, and all this junk around me is just what I deserve. Godly sorrow says, you know what? Yep, I messed up here. Turn to somebody and say, I messed up there. I messed up. And that's why Jesus didn't go into this big, huge, long dialogue with Peter. Do you know Jesus' conversation with Peter was really simple? He said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He didn't go into this long conversation about how he failed miserably at this and failed miserably at that. He knew at the very heart of the matter to deal with the godly sorrow and what had become toxic shame for Peter had become something of confusion and saying, I don't have anything better. I can't do anything else. And so we deal with the flaws on a very simple level. Let me tell you something with sin in your life, whether it's big or whether it's little, whether it's small. You know, we always think of small sins and we don't think they're that big of a deal. You know, we think of we think of sins like the movie rating system. Well, that was PG, that was PG-13, and that was R. And we say, well, that was a really bad one. That's got, you know, when they do the rating systems, the R movies have a couple F-bombs in there, right? They've got the sex scene. That's the R movie. Well, we don't have that. We just got PG. But PG is okay, right? And we use ratings with God. Let me tell you something. Sin is still sin. And so if we have offended God, allow the Holy Spirit to prick your heart and to speak to those things and say, God, reveal those flaws in me that keep me and keep debris and keep me living in a pile of mess around me. You know, don't you ever get to that place where you have a mess in your life or whatever and you just go, i got to clean this thing. And that's good in our spiritual life because... Christ comes in and starts to deal with those things. A.W. Tozer writes, We can be in our day with the great saints of yesterday were in their day. God wants us to be holy in our life and filled with the Spirit. But He does not expect us to replicate the saints of the past. Do you know that? We must have the same faith, the same obedience, the same love they had. But after that, we must walk our own path. He goes on to write, I have given this quite some thought. And my conclusion that is this. It's always better to be a living dog than a dead lion. I say this because the dead lion was ferocious in his day, but that day is gone. You think about that today, man, I'd rather be a a live dog than a dead lion. We're all wanting for the heroes of the faith and what they did. Do you know some of the people, the heroes of the faith, would be the people that we would, we would be talking bad about for the next two hours after church at lunch? Have you ever heard of Rahab the harlot? She wouldn't be accepted in the church, and yet she is in the Faith Hall of Fame. Wow, beautiful, isn't it? Let us understand today that to be a living dog is better than a dead lion. We might look at the greats of faith and say, look at all they did. Look at this and look at that. But yeah, look at what you have the opportunity right now in your generation to do. You look at the people surrounding you that you have the ability to pray for and stand in the gap and be with and become a part of with their life. You have that opportunity and that ability to be that person. It's so beautiful. 
Don't mistake godly sorrow with toxic shame. And if today you have years and years and years of shame and lack of progress from that, that is not godly shame. That is straight from the pit of hell. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. If you're continually being reminded by the junk of your past, that is not the Holy Spirit, and that's the devil, and you have the right to put a stop to that. You have a right! You have rights! You have spiritual rights and territory that you can take back. And you can deal with the toxic shame and say, I'm done rehearsing this in my brain. I am done going back and forth through this. I am done being walled in it. And you know what's interesting about shame is it doesn't need a lot to be shamed about. You think about the spirit of intimidation. The spirit of intimidation teaches you and I to comply, to be quiet. And there is a spirit of intimidation in the church right now where people are lacking the very power and progress to go after the things of God because we've adhered to a spirit of intimidation. We comply. We comply to any thought that comes in our brain. Do you know that? God has given you the mind of Christ. The Bible encourages us to put on the mind of Christ so that tomorrow morning when I get up, it is not a given that I will have a mind of Christ. You know that? I have to spiritually put His mind on. I have to learn to think His thoughts. I have to learn to walk in His ways. Steve Lapp is not through metamorphosis going to just somehow change just because I'm a believer. I change because I walk in the paths of God and I learn His nature and I learn His ways. It is not automatic. That spirit of intimidation will stay with you as long as you allow it to. You have the ability today to break through that spirit of intimidation. What are you being intimidated by right now? What are you afraid of? You sit on the dock of life and you're afraid of stuff and you say, why should I even be afraid of this? Anybody been there? Why am I afraid of this? I have things in my life that I have fears. I have no idea where they came from. Steve, why are you afraid of this? It's a two-foot dock. And the spirit of intimidation takes over. And we close the doors of the church so that we can be safe and we can be in control. But the Holy Spirit's not alive and He's not on fire in our hearts. When we stand at the dock and we say, I am taking over from here. You don't tell me what I need. I know what I need. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Stephen Arterburn writes this. We start to feel as if our entire purpose is to be used up and run over and stepped on and put down. Our identity and our calling seem to merge into one demand. Comply, go along, and don't make waves. Comply, go along, and don't make waves. I ask you spiritually this week to start making some waves. 
If you're intimidated in some area of your heart, maybe this week you write it down and actually do this. And this is a lesson right now. Write down when that thought came in, where it came in at. So if on Tuesday you're at work and that same thing comes in there, if you're at home all by yourself, you know, when you're alone with your thoughts, things get really wacky, don't they? If you're in your car, do me a favor and stop. And maybe write that time down and where that fear came in at. And you start to understand that mental habit that you start going back to where intimidation starts to rule your life. And then you can start to, by progress, say this, in the name of Jesus, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You have no business living in fear. Romans 15, 13, I love this verse. Turn there real quick. Romans 15, verse 13. Don't we get intimidated so easy? I pray that the God, or that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know today that you can have confident hope in the circumstances that you face today right now. You can have confident hope. I'm not giving you a false sense of hope. I am actually giving you a confident hope for the pain that you're facing. That you were intimidated by that because what intimidation will also do, it will also start to write to you a future that doesn't even exist yet. So when you're in intimidation and fear, you will actually start to write a future out for your family. Come on. You will start to write the end out. So here we have God, who knows the end from the beginning, who has a future for you, who wants to blow you off where you're at and say, you're going to be amazed at what I want to do in this situation, but yet we start to live our life. We hear the verse. But then we live our life according to the future that we've already drawn up. Confident hope. Let me ask you this. What high expectations do you think God is entertaining for you right now? What do you think he's entertaining for you? Do you think that God is playing into that spirit of intimidation too and saying, Oh, Johnny, you're right. Yeah, this, this thing right here, it's the end. And we're just going to have to start cutting our losses. Can you imagine if God talked to you like you talked to yourself? You're right, Steve. This is a big one to worry about. Woo! Better buy an extra liability policy. This is a biggie. See, we don't even entertain what God might be entertaining for us. Because we've complied. And we've shut our mouth. What high expectations do you need to start having for the situation that you have? Or do you have low expectations? Because dealing with the flaws in ourselves is really what's going to start to springboard us in our tomorrow. We think the flaws are out there. We think the flaw is 
is Uncle Joe, who he thinks applause Susie Q over there. Susie Q. Who's Susie Q anyway? <laughs> Little Debbie. We think the problems are out there. Those are the problems. Those need to be fixed. Those are right there. And here, when Christ comes, he bids and speaks to you. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me. Acts 4.31. Here's what happens. We're coming up on Pentecost here. And the disciples were told to wait by Jesus. And they started to pray. They started talking. They said, well, prayer is not, not, not a bad idea. By the way, if, you're, if you have a serious situation you're facing and you haven't really prayed anything at all about it with any kind of intensity, you need to back the bus up and before you talk to that person with a problem, with a situation, you better get into the throne room of grace and you better start praying your eyes out. Didn't get a big amen there. Thanks, Quentin. You better start praying your eyes out. Getting the opinions of men and this and that. I got an idea. How about you get God's opinion? I got an idea. How about we seek the throne room of grace and start talking to God once again and say, Talk to me about this, God declares. Talk to me. Do you know prayer is not age related? You don't have to have graduated with some kind of degree in order to get to God. You can be a small little child with very any lingo or language. And it's so beautiful because the simplicity of it. It's just the older we get and the more wise we get in our own eyes, the more developed our prayers become. We are so astute in our prayer life. And then we really bake it all down and boil it all down. The bottom line is, God, help me with this. Lord, I need wisdom. Can you give me wisdom? I don't... I don't even have enough insight about this. God, I don't know what to do. Folks, do you know half the time when I'm putting my message together, I don't have a cotton-picking clue on what to do or what to say. And half the time I'm wondering, man, this is going to be great. And Anne just speaks into my life all the time with that. And, and that spirit of intimidation can overcome me, and I'm intimidated. And I want you to know it's so easy. we can be so easily intimidated by this stuff in life. We can be so easily intimidated and trapped and entangled in all that mess. And if we would just simply go to, we don't need a prayer conference, folks. I am telling you, just lift your eyes to heaven from whence your help comes from. Confident hope that when you pray, that even before you opened your mouth, God knew what you were asking for and wants to bless you with it. Isn't that so beautiful? Amen. What high expectations is God entertaining for you? All right, let's start here in Acts 4, verse 31. This is a good prayer meeting, by the way, this verse. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Folks, I believe that one of the things that we have, if there's an anti, the opposite to intimidation, is boldness. Don't think for a moment that these disciples were not dealing with intimidation. They had the same issues and much, much more that we face today and across the globe of what's happening in faith. But they were filled with a spirit of boldness. I believe what's happening today and what's going to happen in our church is that God wants to fill us with a spirit of boldness where we're at. Boldness is, means this. The Greek word is outspokenness. How many need to be outspoken today? <laughs> 
unreserved utterance, freedom of speech, with frankness and candor, cheerful courage, the opposite of cowardice, timidity or fear, divine enablement. What's going to happen with all of us is we'll start to become outspoken again. By the way, this boldness here didn't say, if you're not a type A personality, you'll be less outspoken. Isn't that yeah. funny? <laughs> See, we get all the mix of it. Well, does boldness just mean now I take a gifts qualification course here and see if the boldness really works for me. Boldness works for everyone. You can be the quietest person in the place and when you are filled with joy and expression and freedom of speech to speak forth the praises of God, it doesn't matter if you're shy, it doesn't matter if you're back in the woods, God wants to bless you and use you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I challenge you this week to deal with the spirit of intimidation. To say, God, forgive me, first of all, for succumbing to those suggestions of fear. And then pray this, Lord, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. It's a present tense vernacular. It's not be filled with the Holy Spirit when you started speaking in other tongues. That's being filled with the Spirit. Folks, I speak in tongues. I love speaking in tongues. I like being in my prayer language. But you know what? I still need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I still need to ask God to fill me and use me. It's a filling constantly afresh in our life. Verse 33 says this, And with great power the apostles gave witness. The word power there means Dunamis. Everyone say dunamis. Dunamis means energy, power, might, great force, great ability, strength, and overcoming all resistance. The word dunamis there literally comes from the term dynamite. That's where you get dynamite. This power, this explosiveness. When we were out west, we were driving through mountains. And you know what's crazy is those mountains, they had to use dynamite to blow through those mountains. And we were driving, we drove through the longest, I think, the longest opening of a mountain, I think it was almost a mile long, and I was just sitting there going, me and Amber were just amazed that these guys blew through this tunnel, blew through this mountain. And the power that God gives you is the ability, that power is energy. And I believe all of us need that spirit of energy to overcome that intimidation we're facing. One of the things we need to start to do, the Bible declares to us to live out the hope you have before everyone. I think everyone you face, you have the ability to have a Holy Spirit, God kind of encounter. I was talking to a guy that I used to kind of work with. He was in the same office building, and he came to a garage sale by our house, and he's talking to me. He's right now in the middle of a, of a divorce. I'm like, how's everything going, bud? And he said, not good. He goes, my wife's going to leave me. You know, what do you say? We were talking garage sales here, man. You're asking, what are we doing? You know, isn't it crazy how the Holy Spirit just comes in there and the pain and all of that and starts to deal with it? And I said, well, let's stop, if you don't mind. Let's pray right now for that and let's pray for this situation. And folks, know this, that you are an ambassador in the situation you face. The reason why you're talking to the people and the reason why there's problems there is so that you can be a part of it and have dunamis, if you will, and have boldness in that situation. Julie Cameroon writes this. Stop telling yourself that dreams don't matter, that they are only dreams, and that you should be more sensible. I love that. Stop being so sensible with your boldness approach. Don't be sensible anymore. Turn to someone and say, you're being too sensible. We're too sensible. 
The dream doesn't make sense. The breakthrough isn't going to happen. The other thing we've got to start doing in dealing with the shame and the flaws is we not only deal with it in ourselves, but we must face it in other people. How many know some people with flaws in their life? <laughs> you know, we got the, we got the, they got the speck in theirs, but we have the big log sticking out of ours. You know, it's funny, we, we focus on the speck and forget that big thing sticking out of our face. So let me give you something, too. In fact, Apple, many people have Apple phones in here. I've got an Apple phone. Apple Computers Retail Division and the way they do customer service. They want their team members to trust the positive intent of their customers. Isn't that tough? So when a customer comes in with a complaint, they don't want their team members to assume they are trying to rip off the company or get something for free. They know the occasional loss will be offset by the connection they create with the customers by trusting them. You guys didn't know you're having a customer service class here today. Let me tell you something. The church really needs customer service class. We don't have positive intent. When we look at someone, are we sizing them up? Have we already prejudged and determined that they're failures and they just always are going to mess up? Have we lacked trust, general trust in people? When You know what? Me and Ann were at Target one time. We were at another store. We went to this other place. And this one person, we were trying to do a return, and this one person was just giving us that kind of mad eyes. Tanya wasn't here, I promise. But they were giving us... They were giving us the evil eyes and they were talking and, Ann was, and this lady automatically assumed that we were just bad people trying to do some dumb return. Have you ever felt like that before? Yes. Positive intent. And we in the church must realize that yes, people will take advantage of us. Absolutely. But it will be offset by the connection they create. By simply trusting them. It'll be offset. Folks, I'm telling you, life has a way it's a rebounding that when you turn the cheek, when you go to the person, when you pray for them, when you believe God to do good things, in spite of all the pain and all the progress, God will start to do beautiful things. How many of you know throughout Scripture, Jesus dealt over and over again that the disciples and all these church folk had completely written off whole communities. You know, the Samaritans, the good Samaritan. What a beautiful story. He offset the whole thing by trusting that God was going to use that moment. Learn to trust people again. Turn to someone and say, start trusting people again. Can I tell you that not everyone's an axe murderer? Can I just tell you that today? We need to say that. Because we believe everyone's just a bad person out there. Stephen Arterburn writes about being responsive instead of being reactive. Here's what he gave us some examples. He said, what do I do with other people then? Because if you're jaded towards people and you'd rather live on an island by yourself, you might be a little jaded right now. Okay? Because God made us to be around people. So if your idea of a good time is to be as far away from people, then, then this is perfect for you. <laughs> no one's laughing. <laughs> or I'm going to get killed after this. No. <laughs> Learn to trust people again. Don't think I can change the other person. Maybe write this down. Don't think I can change the other person. Start to think I can change myself. That's the first thing. So as opposed to trying to change the other person, say, God, what are you trying to change in me? That's a start. That's, that's the hard one, isn't it? 
Because now all the things that we're pointing out in their life, now all of a sudden I have to start dealing with me. Don't think that I can change the other person. Start to think that I need to change myself. Don't think life will get better when other people get better. Start thinking my life will get better when I get better. Big amen there. Don't think I am trapped. Start thinking I might feel trapped, but I still have options. That's pretty reassuring, isn't it? Don't think that I've tried everything. Start thinking I've tried everything I know how to try. So it's time to connect with someone who can show me other options. So with people and life, and this is how come all the dramas happen in church. Because we don't give people positive intent. They do something or they say something wrong. They didn't pat you on the back and you thought you deserved a pat. Can you just give that person a free pass for that morning? Or give them a free pass for that morning? And think maybe that that person has got craziness going on in their life as well? Trust people again. Trust their mistakes. Trust the misinformation. Don't trust misinformation. Trust that it might be just one of those problems. Learn to pray for others. Jesus, when he was on the cross, prayed the most crazy prayer, I would think, that anyone would pray in that moment. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's our risen Savior that's praying that for other people. I want you to challenge, challenge you this week to pray for the people that may have offended you. I know that I had to let someone go at our office last year, and one of the things that I did right out of the gate, and I had to force myself to do it, trust me, I had to force myself. Some things in life, by the way, you're going to have to force yourself to do. You're going to have to force your way through it. You're going to have to say, you get up, tie those bootstraps, and you keep marching on because it's the right thing to do. Some things you do because it's the right thing to do. So I was offended, I was frustrated. Time to cut that. And how many of you know you can start to resent and get bitter? And I said from that day, I said, Lord, I just pray that you would bless him and that you would speak to him and that God, you would move in his life and just do something, God, because obviously he's dealing with things in his life. Obviously he's got pain and he's got problems and he needs you. Folks, I want to tell you today, to start standing on behalf of others that are going through some junk. And that junk, they might have flung your way a little bit. It might have been on purpose. It might have been on accident. Does it really matter at this point? I mean, does the minutia really matter? But you're going to have to. I hate to use the, the, the idea, but it's a great example. Just like what Apple says, they encourage their customer service to really define positive intent and understand that when they work with people, they might be taken advantage of, but these people aren't just always out to get them, that they have true problems, and in the end, it will kind of all wash out. And you know, at the end of the day, if that person doesn't come back, if that person continues to be who they are, God's still going to be God, and he's still going to be in control, and he's still going to get you and me where we need to go. But do me a favor, pray for others again. In fact, Max Lucado writes this, you are never more like Jesus than when you pray for others. Isn't that neat? You say, how can I become more like Jesus? Pray for others. 
Pray for others. Pray in the middle of pain. And when you should have been picking up your sword to go after them, you put it down and you said, God, I'm going to fight with other swords. Do you know you do have the ability to fight? You think, man, I can't. How come I can't fight? You can fight. Here's what he's saying. You can fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Do you know that? We can pull down strongholds. You can pray for that person and they don't even know you're praying for them. I was praying for some people in the church this week even. And you know what I actually saw when I was praying for them? I was driving down the road. I was on Mulford. And I actually saw, Lord, I thank you for the, you know, the, the armor of God. And I actually saw flaming swords going towards that situation. I literally had a picture as I'm driving with eyes wide open of flaming swords going towards that particular person and turning point I was praying for. Don't tell me you can't fight. Don't tell me that you can't attack. Don't tell me that your hands are tied. You are as free as God called you to be. And you can speak blessing. And you can speak power. And you can break through strongholds today in people's life. But you're going to have to also trust that the people that God has for you are what it is right now. And God wants to work miracles in that situation. And the miracles might happen through you. Learn to pray for others. Do we got that now? Page 8. This is the fun part. Time to love. Augustine taught that we are most fundamentally shaped not as much by what we believe or think or even do, by what we love. For when we ask whether somebody is a good person, we are not asking what he believes or hopes for, but what he loves. Timothy Keller writes, For Augustine, what we call human virtues are nothing more than forms of love. Courage is loving your neighbor's well-being more than your own safety. Honesty is loving your neighbor's interest more than your own, even when the truth will put you personally at a disadvantage. Augustine believed that all sin was ultimately a lack of love. As our church activity, by the way, in Revelations 2, let's turn there real quick. Let's get the premise of what this is. Time to love. The church of Ephesus had some really good things that God was speaking to him, or speaking to them. In Revelations 2, verses 2 through 4, it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patience and your endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Now, isn't that a really cool thing? Everyone's like, yeah, you're right, God. You're doing, I'm doing great. I'm, this is awesome. This is really good. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who has an ear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit of the tree of life and paradise of God. He is literally saying to them, get back to the first love. I see your good works. 
I see what's happening. And what starts to happen in the church is we start to do good works. I believe Turning Point does great works. We're doing great things. We have great opportunities that God gives us to minister and bless. But one thing that I always want to make sure is that those good works are a byproduct, not of just what we're supposed to do, but because we're overflowing with love for people. See, I don't want us just to do good things because that's part of our setup. I want us to be overflowing. I want our church to be cheerful givers because we're overflowing with love and the interest of others. Some people have actually in the world have decided, well, they're going to do benevolence and stuff because, well, that's just part of what I should do because I make a lot of money and it's just good to give. I don't want you to give on that premise. I want you to give because God loves you and God loves a cheerful giver and you do it out of the abundance of your heart. Not to make you feel better. May our church not be just an orthodox church doing things because, well, we're supposed to do that. I want us to do it because we are so crazy in love with Jesus and we're so crazy in love with this town. Our church activity many times becomes orthodox routine, doesn't it? One of the things that we have to do is get our love life in order. Keller writes, Augustine did not see our problem as stemming only from a lack of love. He also observed that the heart's love had an order to them, that we often love less important things more and more important things less. Therefore, the unhappiness and disorder of our lives are caused by the disorder of our loves. Timothy Keller goes on to write, You harm yourself when you love anything more than God. And I think many times our love life kind of gets out of order and we start to love less important things more. And folks, I'm not slamming nice things and nice cars and boats and all those kinds of things. But if our life is consumed more by those things and God's spirit becomes less important, then we've got things completely out of order. A just and good person is also a person who has rightly ordered his love so that he does not love what is wrong to love or fail to love what should be loved or to love too much what he should love less. Let me ask you this. Is your love life in order? Is it something where you say, man, that's a reflection of God's love in my life? Is my love life in order? Or am I ordering my life that, God, I love you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength? And then the next thing is this. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. I want us to end with this. In getting our love life in order, we've also got to get our hate life in order. I believe there's some things we're going to have to learn to hate, too. Matthew Elliott writes, we can watch or read or listen to almost any form of movie or TV or book or online site without feeling anything. We even enjoy these things without the slightest revulsion or righteous hatred or evil rising up in our souls. Watching evil that is promoted and glorified as good should nauseate us. Just like watching one of those reality shows where people eat raw sheep intestines or live roaches to reach the next level of the game. Why aren't we disgusted by the evil we hear and read? 
Are we developing a biblical hatred toward pornography images in our society? Are we developing a deep revulsion for gossip and criticism and slander of others? Are we deeply offended by the sins of our culture and our age, the proliferation of violence and abortion, and the cheapening of human life? Matthew Elliott goes on to write, it shows the depth of our moral corruption when we do not hate the things that we should hate. Let me close our eyes for a moment. I think for all of us in our lives today, there might be some flaws that we're working on and working through. We might be today, our love life might be a little out of order. That thing, that person, that job, whatever it might be, has a lot more intensity to it than what God wants it to have. Our love life might be out of order. And just like the church in Revelation who was doing good things and hating what it was supposed to hate and loving what it was supposed to love, he said, you know what, this one thing that I have against you is that you lost your first love. And today, maybe today, right now, in this place, you say, I am dealing with some shame and some flaws that have brought condemnation to me and have completely taken me out of the game of life. And I'm living in debris right now and that shame and that godly sorrow has taken in to become toxic shame. It's consumed us. And it might not have to be the biggest event, but it's something that has completely taken down the walls in our life, so we lie in ruins right now. Today, if you have some flaws in your life and that you can't get past them and you can't get by them, I know this today, that the power of the cross is here, and the blood of Jesus Christ declares you free from that shame. And the reminders that you keep getting in your head can and will be stopped through the blood of Jesus Christ if you let it. Today, God's working in those flaws, and you say, that's me, and I don't want to live in that debris anymore. I want to be free of those things. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you that I don't have to live under that shame anymore. And that thing that has intimidated me is broken down through the power of Jesus Christ. I arise victorious. I am no longer bound by this shame, bound by this guilt, bound by this fear. For whomever the sun sets free is free indeed. I thank you, God, that I'm not bound by that suggestion, that memory, that failure anymore. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you a bunch today. And I want you to know that God has awesome sightings for you to see. He has awesome opportunities for you this week. And I want you to know that if, when you're reminded, which you will be, you'll be reminded by that junk in your life. You'll be reminded by those situations. 
I want you to know today that you are filled with firepower so that you don't have to live under those suggestions or have that intimidation this week. Amen? Amen. Love you so much. Have an awesome, awesome week.